0: Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, once again, good morning. I love you so very much. It is the joy of my heart to be with you here this morning. I do believe there's no other place I'd rather be than right here with all of you as we open up God's Word, and certainly no place I'd rather be as we get ready for 2019. You know, I always think about this every year as a pastor, you get ready to preach before the new year, and God, what are you going to put on my heart to share with the people as we get ready for 2019? A lot of people get excited about the Christmas sermons, and a lot of those are a given. We know we're going to talk about a manger and a child and a city of Bethlehem. But when we talk about the New Year, there's so many different directions that we could go. But one place I find myself almost every year, whether I'm preaching from this text or not, I think a lot about the book of Exodus when I think about a new year. And I think it's natural because the book of Exodus is coming out of one land and getting ready to go into another land. And that's where God is going to have us here this morning, as we'll be in Exodus chapter thirteen, verses seventeen through twenty-two. And the title of our message here this morning is "The Way of the Wilderness." The Way of the Wilderness. Now, perhaps many of you, as you look in the rearview mirror at two thousand eighteen, you're thinking about maybe what the Egyptian or what the Israelites thought as they were leaving Egypt. Thank goodness I've left this behind. The bondage and the slavery of Egypt as they were getting delivered after the Passover into the land of milk and honey. They were looking back and then looking forward to this promised land as you're looking forward to 2019. But what we often miss when we think about the Israelites and we think about the nation of Israel and how God was forming this land. We remember Egypt and we remember the promised land, but we forget the 40 years of wilderness that it took to get them there. And that's what we're going to be talking about here this morning. The way of the wilderness. The way of the wilderness. In fact, if I had to give us a, uh, a, the big idea in one sentence as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the message, here it is. If we seek to follow God faithfully in 2019, we must be prepared to walk the way of the wilderness. Let me say that again. If we seek to follow God faithfully in 2019, we must be prepared to walk the way of the wilderness. What is the way of the wilderness? You're going to have to stay tuned to find out. Grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you and meet me again in the book of Exodus. Just the second book of the Bible will be in chapter 13, verses 17 through 22. If you have the pew Bible, it is on page 65 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy... Infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. Again, we're in Exodus chapter 13, and we'll be looking at verses 17 through 22. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 17 of chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you and thank you for the day that you have made, and we confess as we... In 2018 and get ready to enter into the promises of 2019 that there may be some milk and honey, but there's definitely going to be some wilderness along the way. And so, Father, we need you. We need you to prepare us and to go before us and to be with us. Father, I pray in the time that we have here this morning that you would clear our hearts and our minds of all the distractions of what we're considering in the new year ahead and just be fully present in the text this morning. Father, I pray that your spirit would move in this room, that you would remove hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, that you would remove the blinders from our eyes and enable us to see the radiant light of Jesus Christ. Help us to, to understand your purpose in the wilderness and to seek you in it. Be with us now, I pray, as we walk through your words. In Jesus' name, And God's people said, Amen. The way of the wilderness. It's the title of our message, it's the passage we just read, and it is a reality that we cannot deny. It's a reality I wish more pastors would speak about because it would adequately prepare us for what God is doing in our lives and enable us to rejoice in some of the darkest moments of our lives. So what do I mean when I say the wilderness? What does the Bible mean when it says wilderness? Well, I think there are physical realities that point to a spiritual reality. So when I talk about the physical reality of the desert, I want you to put your heart and your mind and focus for just a second on what it would be like to stand in the middle of the desert right now. Think about it. It's oppressively hot, it's dry, it's desolate, isolated from society's amenities or comforts. It's free of distractions and vices. It is inescapable suffering. All right. If you've never been in a physical desert, it is all of those things, I promise you. Okay, I learned this the hard way in my last year of baseball when I worked in the California League. I lived in northern California full of green trees and meadows and uh, very much like our part of the world. But we would travel to the teams in the south. And in southern California, that's a whole different kettle of fish. It is all these things and more. It is dry. It is lonely. It is desolate. I remember traveling in towns like San Bernardino. I remember our bus driver fell as, or I fell asleep, but my bus driver missed his turn, and we went six hours in the wrong direction, and when I woke up, it looked exactly the same way it did when I went to sleep. Nothing. I remember we pulled into a town to play the High Desert Mavericks. Uh, they were a Kansas City Royals affiliate, and the town was Adelanto, California, and the big sign said City of Possibilities, and I thought, what Possibility. There's nothing here. I was in Lancaster, California, playing the Jet Hawks. That was, a California, or that was a Colorado Rockies affiliate. And I just remember looking out the window and tumbleweeds passing by. I thought John Wayne was going to knock on my door. And there was like nothing but a 7-Eleven within five miles. And I just remember my soul descending I remember being utterly, de- utterly depressed. And I actually remember years later looking up on the internet and finding out that Lancaster, California had the highest suicide rate per capita in the country. And I understand why. <laughs> the desert can make a place, uh, the desert can make a person mad. It can make them crazy. Uh, the desert is a place that we don't willfully go. But it is a place as we open up the text that we will see God willingly leads us for a good purpose. Not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. all right. That's the physical reality of the desert, but what about the spiritual reality? So most of us in this room, God will not lead us to a physical desert. Most of you may live and die in southeast Georgia, and the only desert experience you'll ever have is a couple of gnats flying up your nose. All right, You may never experience what it is to be so physically thirsty that you would crawl to a cactus to try to get a drop of water. But spiritually, everybody in this room knows what it is to be in a spiritual desert. You know how I know that? Here's a spiritual desert. Loneliness and depression, relational conflict, job stress, financial hardship, deteriorating physical health, a bad doctor's report, personal tragedy, separation from loved ones, loss of hope, and increasing despair. That's a spiritual desert. That's a desert that I would dare say everybody in this room, I don't care how old you are, you've been in it before. And I share this out of honesty and the purity of my heart. This is something that God will lead you into at some point in 2019 as well. Because it's God's will. Because it's in the desert where he does his best work in us. And we're going to talk about that as we walk through the text. But I remember times in my own life that the spiritual desert was a time where it felt like it would never end. I thought of a thousand stories. I'll just share one before we jump into the text. I remember when God had redeemed me. I was saved, and I was living in northern Pennsylvania, and God had called me to sell everything and move south. I didn't know why. I didn't know what I was going to receive when I got here, but I just knew that Georgia Southern is where I went to college, and Statesboro is a place I knew on the map. I didn't know anybody there anymore, but I sold everything I couldn't fit in my Silverado. I drove uh, 13 hours south and got the dirtiest, cheapest apartment I could find on, on Main Street, $220 a month. And I moved into that apartment, and I'll never forget a moment in time. I'll never forget a Saturday night. I didn't have enough money for food. Okay? I was not dying of hunger. Okay? I had a loaf of bread and a gallon of pimento cheese, but I, I couldn't go to Wendy's. All right, uh, I had gotten some temp work, but that check had not come in yet. I had no cable. I had no internet. I had no friends or family within hundreds of miles of me. And I just remember sitting on that little couch you know it was a furnished apartment and the couch was not the nicest couch in the world i just remember sitting on the couch and i had no way to numb the pain of loneliness i couldn't turn on espn and numb it i couldn't get lost in a book i didn't have any books i couldn't get lost with uh, the internet i didn't have the internet i couldn't call a family member or friend and just waste time with somebody i didn't know anybody and i just remember sitting there in despair thinking is this what it means to follow jesus this is awful Make this stop. I don't want to feel this anymore. Well, I think God leads people into the desert to feel those very things because it's in those those moments that he's all we have. I specifically asked Jody to sing the song that he sang during the time of invitation that we would hear those lyrics. My hope is in you alone. That no matter where I am or what despair I feel, I can sing the words, it is well with my soul. And that's what God does with his people. And this is why I, sometimes you may wonder, but why do you harp so much on the prosperity gospel on Christian television? Here's why. It is such a disgusting lie. And, and it makes people vulnerable to, to when God really wants to do a work in a person's life, the idiots on television that say, put your faith in God and you'll have all this health and all this wealth and prosperity is yours this year. It's all coming. When it doesn't come, when you do have tragedy, When you do get a cancer report, when you are struggling in your marriage, when you are struggling at work, you can stop and say, well, what's wrong? Is it because I don't have enough faith? And God would say, no, I'm leading you into this to build up your faith. The very thing that the the people on television are saying, if you have faith, you'll avoid, God's saying if you have faith, you're going to go right into it. So we need to know what the Scriptures teach. And we need to be faithful to what God is doing. It's not a fun place. The desert is not a place that any of us willfully go, but it is a place that God willfully leads us to. So we need to be prepared for this as we walk into 2019. There's two realities when it comes to facing the desert. I want us to think about these two before we walk into the text. Here's the first. Everybody spends time in the desert. Everybody. You can't avoid it. If you avoided it most of your life, old age will take care of that. All right, old age will take care of that. The doctors will tell you plainly, you will face the desert. And here's the second thing before we walk into the text, just a way of application. Even though you yourself have been in the desert, you can't fully understand somebody else's desert experience. And they do not need you to hear the word, to say the words, I know what you feel because you don't. What they need is somebody to walk through the desert with them. All right. And as we get ready to open that, it's been fresh on my mind. We talked about it in our Sunday school class here this morning. I think that one of the things Christians need to be better educated on all of us, I'm not saying I'm an expert on this, but I've read and prayed about this as a pastor. We need to learn to let people grieve properly. We need to walk with them in the desert and not say, I know what you feel, not try to rationalize their pain, but just love them and weep with them and walk with them. Because all of us in this room either are in the desert or getting ready to walk in the desert right now. And we need to know God's will for that. So let's open up the text together. Please bear with my voice. I sound a lot more like Larry Sykes today, don't I? Not willfully though. Yeah, (laughs) so there's three realities of the wilderness that I want us to see as we walk through the text here, okay? The first is this, number one, the way of the wilderness is where God leads his people. The way of the wilderness is where God leads his people. Listen to verses 17 through 18. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Now here's a a geography lesson. I'm not a geography major, but if you don't get this, you'll miss the whole point of the story here. They are in Egypt, and the promised land is Canaan, which is northeast of Egypt. Okay, it's northeast. I guess if I'm facing you, it's this way. All right, it's northeast. They need to go up and go east. All right, and they could have taken a route, and this route historically is known as the Via Maris, the Way of the Sea. Okay, it hugs the coastline of the Great Sea, which today we call the Mediterranean. And they could have gone from Egypt to Canaan along that route, the land of the Philistines, hugging the Great Sea, and it would have only taken them four to six weeks on foot. On foot, in four to six weeks, they could have gotten from the slavery of Egypt to the promised land of milk and honey. They just had to go northeast. Guess what God decided to do? He took them due south. And guess what? God is not a broken GPS. God is not as concerned with the destination as we are. God took them south when they really needed to go north, and he did not make a mistake. Instead of taking them the Via Maris, the way of the sea, he took them the way of the wilderness he went due south and instead of taking them 4 to 6 weeks it took them 40 years to get to the promised land and we need to understand first of all it was never about the land ever all right sometimes we get we get wrapped up in this even today we talk about Israel and land and it's never really about the land for Israel it was about a new way of being human in the care of god God wanted a people unto himself that through those people he would bless the whole world and build a new kingdom. And in that kingdom, the people of God would be dependent on the provision of God and fully surrendered to the will of God. This was God's will since the Garden of Eden. Think back with me to Genesis. Remember, I've said it for weeks. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. When God created human beings, Adam and Eve were in the garden, They were God's people, they were in God's place, God was physically and spiritually with them in the garden, and they were under God's rule and receiving God's blessing, and all of that changed when they rejected the rule of God and said, no God, I want to eat from that tree because I want to be the God of my own life. When that happened, the kingdom of God was fractured, and they were cast into the wilderness, but not before a promise that God would one day redeem them through the seed of a woman. That seed is the Lord Jesus Christ. But before the seed comes, he's building a nation that that seed would come through. And that nation is Israel. Israel, God's people that he would eventually bless the whole world through. And he's wanting this people unto himself to be holy and set apart and different. He wants the whole world to look at Israel and say, surely God exists. And so he's got to isolate them from the rest of the world and eventually hand down these laws, the Ten Commandments, and build on these laws that they would live holy and separate from the rest of the world. But to do that, he's got to prepare them to be fully surrendered to him. And that doesn't happen in a four- to six-week route across the sea. No, it happens in a 40-year route across the wilderness is where it happens. You know, God is not as concerned with our destination as he is our transformation. He's not. One pastor says this, God is not nearly as concerned where his people are going as who they will be when they get there. In fact, you've probably heard it said it only took one night to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. God was making them a people unto himself, but they had to learn to trust in God. They had to learn to put to, put to death the sin of self-sufficiency and surrender to the provision of God. And that took time. That took time. And what he did with Israel, guess what? He's doing it with you today. Perhaps you're concerned with your destination. When I say 2019, even if you've not written them down, even if you say, well, I'm not a person that makes resolutions, surely there are things that you want to do in 2019 that you were not able to accomplish in 2018. I guarantee it. All right, we always look optimistically towards the future, we, we try to forget the pessimistic part of the past. We look towards the optimism of the future. And so as you're walking into 2019, all of you are thinking what you did not get accomplished that you want to get accomplished. And that's not wrong thinking, by the way. It's good to have plans. It's good to have goals and it's good to have plans. A goal without a plan is a wish. Okay, it's good to have plans. However, I want to say as we look at the text here, we can know that God is not as concerned with our resolutions as he is our character to try to accomplish those resolutions. God's not concerned with your destination this year. He's concerned with who you're going to become when you get there or not get there. That's what God's concerned with. He's concerned with building in you a dependency upon him. And to do that, he's going to lead you through some desert times this year. He's going to do that. If you have a problem with money, he's going to lead you into a desert of financial struggle to trust in him. If you idolize physical health, he may very well lead you into the desert where you get a doctor's report that you don't like. If you struggle with with uh, idolatry in certain relationships, he may pry that away from you. I, I don't know what it is for you. It's different for all of us. But what I do know is this. It is God's will to lead us into the wilderness because it's in the wilderness where he does this work. It's in the wilderness where he is, he's got us exactly where he wants us, where we put down the checklist And we say, God, what are you doing in my life, and how can I be obedient to it? So again, number one, the way of the wilderness is where God leads his people. Number two, the way of the wilderness is where God humbles his people. Listen to verses 21 through 22. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So what's God doing here? He's cultivating humble dependence upon him day by day by day. Think about everything that God did for Israel in the wilderness, okay? He gives them guidance. He says, follow me. I'll be a pillar of cloud that you can follow during the day, and I'll be a pillar of fire that you can follow by night. He also gives them provision. Later in Exodus, we see that he showers down this bread from heaven for them to eat called manna. He also gives them water to drink. When there's no water in the desert, he pours it out of a rock. And when it's bitter, he sweetens it for them to be able to drink. The bitter waters of Mara that he makes sweet for them to be able to drink. And he does it day by day. He tells them when the manna is showered down, do not store up so much that you start depending on yourself. Trust in me that I gave you enough today that I'll give you more tomorrow. Day by day, he's building humble dependence. He's putting to death the sin of self-sufficiency. If, if you've had friends that have told you that you're a self-made man or a self-made woman, and you got an ironclad will, and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the wilderness is where God has taken you to break you from that. God wants you to trust him as the sun rises and the sun sets, that he will give you what you need to fully honor him. And he does it in the wilderness. What God requires from us is simple trust and obedience. Again, think back to Genesis and the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had everything they needed. When God created everything, he'd stop and he'd say, this is good. Birds of the air, fish of the sea, this is good. The cattle that roam the earth, this is good. All this is good. Then he creates human beings and says, this is very good. He's saying, now it's complete and you have everything you need. I will dwell with you in the garden. You simply must trust and obey. They couldn't do it. They couldn't trust him that he was not withholding something good from them. So they had to disobey him and eat the fruit that he told them not to. And after that, it was fractured. And ever since then, God has been trying to cast out the sin of self-sufficiency that we would trust him and that we would obey him and that we would get to that point in life where we could say what Jody sang this morning, and that is, my hope is in you alone. My hope is is in you alone see there's two things i want to say about the wilderness god calls you to humbly depend on him when you're there he wants to get you to a place where all you have is him nothing else but him and the second thing is he ordains that suffering that you would bring about that surrender if you don't believe me listen to the scriptures i'm going to give you several verses so that you know this is not something i'm making up but this is the will of god Philippians chapter one, verse 29 says this, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Romans chapter five, verses three through five, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Second Timothy one eight. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Acts chapter five verse forty one. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. And then Romans chapter eight verses sixteen through seventeen. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. All right, those are just, what, five or six passages that talk about God ordaining that we suffer. And yet, channel after channel after channel on television, they're telling you the exact opposite thing you know what, I, I really get angry at faith healers. Now, I am not. I do believe that God miraculously heals and that's why we call people forward at the end of service and lay hands and pray. And God has answered those prayers in this room, has He not? He's a, he's a, he's a miracle working God. But when you lay hands on someone and look at them and say, now, if you just have faith, if you just have enough faith, you're guaranteed to be healed. That is a heresy straight from the pit of hell itself. And it leads people astray all the time. That when they're struggling with something and they think, I, if I had enough faith, this would not happen, God's saying, No. I led you here specifically because you do have faith, and I'm building that faith that you'll say, I don't care what the cancer report says, that I don't care what the bank account says, that I don't care what the counselor says, I don't care what any of that says. I have God, and because I have God, I have enough. That's what He's doing in the wilderness. That's what He's doing. And that's where he humbles his people. So again, the way of the wilderness is where God leads his people. The way of the wilderness is where God humbles his people. Third and finally, the way of the wilderness is where God transforms his people. When he leads you there and he humbles you to the point where you trust in him alone, And He is the source of your joy. Not money, not material possessions, not relationships, not honor, not academic achievement, not any of those things. But God Himself, when He is finally the source of your joy, then you become more like Christ. Then you begin to cultivate that heart and that desire to worship Him and serve Him and love Him. And the Spirit of God can begin to do amazing things in your life through the work of God, which is His grace. It's all an act of grace. Grace is God doing in us and through us and for us what is required of us, but what we could never do on our own. That's the work of grace. And when we're in the desert, we say, God, guess what? I need your grace. Because the desert's a place that wipes away all other distractions. Again, I wish all of us could stand physically in a desert for 24 hours. I mean, you cannot occupy your brain with anything else but God. There's nowhere else to look. There's just horizon everywhere you turn around. There's nowhere else to go for shade. There's no television or internet to distract you. It is just completely unfiltered focus on God. And God get, got you right where he wants you when he leads you there. Now, none of us want to be there. And when we are there, we want to get out of that as soon as possible. I don't think any of us should say, God, lead me into thy wilderness. I don't want to go there. And you shouldn't want to go there either. But when you do go there, I hope that you start thinking, God has a purpose in this. God is working through this right now in a way that I can't fully understand. And I do want to be able to say those words. It is well with my soul. My hope is in you alone. And the reason why God does this in the wilderness is because His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8-10. through Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. He's talking about a thorn in his side, a thorn that we don't fully know, that, God, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." If I handed you a sheet of paper and said, I want you to write down exactly what you want 2019 to look like, what you wrote on that sheet of paper, would that make you depend more on Christ or more on yourself? If the answer is more on yourself, then God may not be in a hurry to answer those prayers. Now again, it's not that God doesn't also lead us into times of milk and honey, right? Those are sweet times when we're filled with blessings, when we get unexpected financial blessings, or we get an unexpected good doctor's report. Let's not, let's not chase after just the bad and say, I don't want anything good, okay? We're not masochists. We don't chase after pain. When you're, when you're in the sunshine, enjoy the sunshine, because God has a purpose for that too, because that's the ultimate goal, by the way. It wouldn't be good news if God wanted to leave us in the wilderness forever. The land of milk and honey is the destination, But what I'm saying is in the wilderness to get there, don't try to skip past the wilderness because God has no intention of doing that. He has every intention of taking as long as it takes in the wilderness for however much pain that we feel, for whatever separation that we experience, he will use that to strip us of anything that gets in the way of us being closer to God because that's his will for our life. It really is. The wilderness is where God does his best work. Think about the Israelites. Now, when we think about Israel being in the wilderness for 40 years, yeah, they were there a lot for disobedience, right? Okay, They got to the edge of the land of milk and honey, and they were scared. They were scared of taking the land God had promised to them. They, they saw how big the Philistines and the Canaanites and all these other people were, and so they retreated, and because of their disobedience, they were in the wilderness longer than they should have been. But don't miss this. Before they ever disobeyed, God still led them south, not northeast. Before they ever committed their first sin as the people of God that were pulled out of Egypt, God already said, I'm taking you south before I take you north, because they weren't ready. So you may be in the wilderness because you are living in sin, and God wants to purge you of that, but you may be living in wilderness not because you're living in sin, but you are living in righteousness, but God wants to strengthen your faith. God wants to do something where your eyes are on Him and nothing else. And so as we get ready for 2019, that's where I want our eyes to be. And as we draw to a close and we sum this up, how do I know this is God's will if I don't have any proof from that in just the Old Testament? I want to close by saying this in one sentence. The way of the wilderness is for all disciples of Christ because it is the very way of Christ Himself. Let me say that again. The way of the wilderness is for all disciples of Christ because it is the very way of Christ Himself. We just finished the Christmas season, and what we said the last couple of weeks is praise God that we have a God that can empathize with us because he became one of us. But if you follow Jesus, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Guess what that cross represents? Wilderness, desert, suffering. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to follow in the footsteps of someone who went to a cross. He went through a physical desert, and he went through a spiritual desert. Let's start with the physical. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, where's the first place he went after he was baptized? to go out preaching the gospel? Nope. The Spirit of God led him into the desert for 40 days, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he was greatly tempted by Satan. But Jesus succeeded where Adam had failed. For every temptation that Satan put in Jesus' way... Jesus responded in obedience, all right? He, he, he did not try to take the kingdom by force. He did not try to eat bread that God did not provide for him. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every time that he was tempted, he responded in righteousness. And after those 40 days, he was adequately prepared to go out and do his three years of earthly ministry. That's a physical uh, d- desert. Now think about spiritual desert. Think of the way of Christ. The man of sorrows. Think about what Jesus did in his final days. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark chapter 14, verse 34, as he was getting ready to take the cross after the Lord's Supper, he said to the disciples, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. The book of Luke says that he was in such a deep despair that he started bleeding. He started sweating drops of blood from his temple. This is unspeakable suffering that Jesus experienced. And then he went through what people call the Via Dolorosa. The Via Dolorosa is the name that they have on the actual road that he traveled in Jerusalem from where he was condemned to be crucified to where he walked with the cross all the way till he got to the hill on Calvary. He had to carry that cross. That was a wilderness experience. Walking and marching to his very last breath. But you know what? Jesus did it willfully. He said in John chapter 10, verse 17 through 18, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Jesus understood the purpose of the wilderness. Jesus understood the purpose of suffering He understood the purpose of entering into our reality and earning our righteousness by never sinning and then taking on the punishment for our sins on the cross and then rising from the dead, making a way from death to life and then ascending to the Father and sending down the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not say every day should be a Friday. Jesus did not say, your, your, your season of blessing is coming. Just have to believe and you'll avoid the cross and you'll avoid the pain. You'll avoid the, the crown of thorns. You'll avoid the uh, piercing of the arrow in your side. You'll avoid all that because you're a child of the Most High God. Nope, that's not what Jesus believed. Jesus believed there was one road to travel and one road only. And in that road, He would have full dependence upon the Father and He would earn our salvation. And if we would receive that in repentance and faith, we'd have to follow Him there. See, when we, we believe this, when we believe the truth, when we believe the Bible, Jesus knows the truth of our heart. It's easy to love God when He promises you milk and honey. It's hard to love God when you've got to walk through the wilderness to taste it. But in the wilderness and you say, God, you're all I want, God says, now I know where your heart is. Let's not miss this in 2019. Let's not miss that God, I hope, has both Milk and honey and, and suffering for us in this upcoming year. I, I do pray that we will have seasons of real sweetness. As, as a pastor, I think about all the struggles that pastors go through with churches and the conflict that you have to work through. I'm not looking forward to that in 2019. I'm not looking forward to the knock on the pastor's door with someone that would love to explain to me why they know more about how to lead a church than I do. I, that's not fun times. I'm not looking forward to that. But you know what? Do I love God when things are going well? And do I love God when things aren't going well? What about you? Maybe there's something in your life that's going really well right now. And maybe it'll continue to go well in 2019, but maybe it won't. And my prayer is if it doesn't, that you won't be surprised. That you won't think God has abandoned you. It's in those times of suffering that God is closer to you than the air you breathe. Even if you can't, you can't know it at the time. And then maybe you are in the desert right now and you're ready for some milk and honey. Maybe the milk and honey is around the corner in 2019. But where you are right now, can you say God is enough? Regardless of the doctor report you're going to get, regardless of the bank statement that you're going to get, regardless of what the Dow Jones is going to do in the next 30 days, can you say God is enough? That's what God wants to hear. Nevertheless, not my will but yours, Father. That's what Jesus said when he walked the road of suffering, and that's what he wants us to say as well. So as we enter into a time of invitation, this is an invitation not just for today, This is an invitation for the year to come. Are you willing to walk with Jesus no matter what? Are you willing to walk with Him through the good and the bad, through the bitter and the sweet, through the wilderness and the milk and honey? In the wilderness, are you willing to cry out to Him and say, you are enough? And through the milk and honey, are you willing to praise Him and say, thank you for you are good? Are you willing to praise Him in the good and the bad? Because that's what lies ahead for all of us here in 2019. We do have wilderness and we do have milk and honey and God will be with us through all of it if we would simply trust and obey. Trust and obey in the way of the wilderness. Let's pray together. Father, it is scary to think that we have no idea what, what lies ahead for the new year, but you're already there in the new year waiting for us. And I pray a special blessing on everybody in this room and the families they represent. Father, I want so desperately for our hearts to be ready for whatever you're preparing for us. If it's milk and honey, let us be ready to celebrate and enjoy. But if it's the way of the wilderness, let us not be surprised. Let us rejoice that you're doing a work, that you're purging us from things that we depend on more than you. You're purging us of things that we love more than we love you. You're purging us of everything that we could look at you and you alone and say, God, you are enough because you are God. So Father, I just pray in all of my weakness here this morning as I've tried uh, and feel like I failed to preach the, the glorious truth of your word that you would just plant this seed in our hearts that you have a purpose for the wilderness. You're with us in the desert, that we're not alone even when it feels like it, that we're not going to die of hunger or thirst, that You will be with us and You will feed our souls and you will, you will give us the drink that our souls need to make it another day. So, Father, I just pray again that You'd be with us for every single moment of 2019 and that You would help us to walk with You as, we, as You uh, ordained for us to follow Christ. It's in His name we pray. God's people said, Amen. amen.